Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionize your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. Welcome back to the Leadership Mindset Podcast Series, and I'm really pleased to have with us today, Mark Walmsley. Uh, Mark and I have got to know each other through a networking group, I think early last year when we've got uh, similar taste in music and what have we were just chatting about that before. So we've become uh, good friends as well as um, trying to look to help each other work-wise. And as as Mark's such an interesting character in terms of, well, generally an interesting character, but really interesting on the creative side, I thought we'd talk around creativity today because I think a lot of people struggle with that. But just to introduce Mark then, uh, he actually has what he calls a portfolio career. Uh, he's, he's, I love this. He's played the triangle at Carnegie Hall, uh, performed a dangerous stunt as Batman on live TV and been master of ceremonies for the royal family. Um, and also his main ventures now really are he's got a growing network for the arts and culture uh, sectors. And when he's not doing that, that's a really fascinating one, which we'll come to later. But when he's not doing that, he can be found working as a brand strategist with partners at Chuft, um, which is a creative social enterprise where they nurture emerging creative talent in the journey from learning to earning. And he said it as well, that when he's not doing that, you can find him searching for golf balls, um, screwing at bet- betting slips. So you like a bit of a gamble occasionally, Mark. Um, but yeah, the the most interesting development for Mark over the last sort of 12 months has been this new arts and culture network. So um, I'll let Mark give you some information on that right at the end, actually, in case you want to check him out, both in terms of the brand um, strategy work and he does the, his organisation did brand workshops. Um, also, obviously, if you want to look at the arts and culture network. So welcome, Mark. Thank you very much, Tony. Uh, I've really been looking forward to this. Um, You and I have such engaging conversations and it's about time we press record. Yeah, Yeah, let's make sure we don't go off at too many tangents, but let's definitely go off at some because I think that could be quite good fun. So we we can't let this one go without going back to the fact that you played the triangle at Carnegie Hall. So share with the listeners today a little bit about that story then. I I guess that's a professional highlight. (laughs) (laughs) I studied percussion at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama and then spent many years in the percussion section of the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra with um, Sir Simon Rattle conducting. And when you're number five in the percussion section, it's often the triangle, I'm afraid. (laughs) Um, And we were on tour in North America and I was playing the triangle in Stravinsky's Firebird Suite. And the triangle comes in at the end and gets louder and louder and louder and effectively finishes off, um, which I did. Um, I was a bit creative with that, I have to say, because rather than just use one triangle, I used two um, so that it would be. Wow. Even but, um, and yes, and um, which was a, a highlight that the, the only problem was that um, any classical music fans listening will know that in the middle of the firebird suite there is a very very difficult horn french horn solo and it starts high and quiet and that's the, one of the hardest things to do on a 22 on 22 feet of tubing <laughs> brass tubing um the, the the first horn absolutely nailed it he was new to the orchestra and he had 
been practicing it for months and months and months. But unfortunately, the New York Times decided to talk about the triangle rather than the French horn in the review the next morning. <laughs> so he, he wandered over to me and, and threw down this copy of the New York Times onto my breakfast and said, six months I've been doing that, six months I've been rehearsing that solo and you get the review in the New York Times. And it did actually say um, something along the lines of, Last night at the Carnegie Hall, the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra was red hot until the triangle player came in and turned it white hot. <laughs> I, I loved, I've got the review somewhere. That's but, fabulous. Um, the horn player, bless him, he did all the hard work. But So that, yeah. So uh, I think you took the limelight, Mark. I did. I think it was my creativity around using two triangles instead. Well, of yes. One. I've got a feeling. I, 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 we occasionally go and watch some um, classical concerts at the Theatre Royal in Nottingham, and I've got a feeling we've seen that one because I seem to remember the tri- the triangle feature in it. But I don't think the guy that I saw had two triangles. So there you go. Your creativity shines through immediately, Mark. And of course, the triangle player typically gets paid more than the violinists. I didn't. Don't know if you knew that. Wow. Okay. It's your solo. It's a solo. It's a solo part. There's only one yeah. triangle orchestra and it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing you will always hear the triangle okay there we go fantastic we don't we could finish now and i think people have already got enough out of this podcast episode (laughs) but let's let's move on how are we we've got one example there but how has creativity played a part in your life then mark i gave this some thought i I trained as a musician and i guess that that kind of uh, de facto creative industry there um and as a drummer, um, most of what you play is made up, right? Um, it, unless you're reading a chart on a session. So I, I guess my whole musical education has been around the concept of improvisation. And, and if you're improvising by, by its very nature is creative in that what you're doing is original. Um, and, and so it's played a huge part in, in my education I guess, um, and in my work then, because I then played in orchestras and in West End shows, um, being creative. Um, in some of those, you were, you were recreating effectively what, what a composer wanted to, to hear or see. Um, but then while I was at music college, I, I set up a, uh, an entertainment company and we, we, um, organized uh, parties, corporate and, and uh, private parties, and which required us to be quite creative. So, for example, I helped set up a group of comedy waiters and we would call Spanner in the Works. <laughs> Still going. They pose as members of their new staff and wreck formal functions. All right, love it. There are so many stories around that. Um, my, I think one of my favourites was we cleared all the plates at a big dinner for Tesco's with their trolleys. Um, it's just just daft things like that. And off the back of that, we thought somebody said, OK, what else? we've done Spanner in the Works. What else can you come up with? And so we created the Media Circus, which was a group of fake paparazzi photographers who treat arriving guests at parties as if they were celebrities. <laughs> um, and if we've got time, there are stories around that as well, um, where, where because at some of the parties, there were actually celebrities there, but the Media Circus completely ignores anyone remotely famous and focuses on um, the members of staff or the, the people who aren't there. And we and they would always routinely mistake anyone who looked remotely like a celebrity for, for that celebrity. So, um, <laughs> and, and the other, one of the most, I think one of the most creative events was for a rather wealthy gentleman who wanted us to arrange a dinner to which he was going to 
um, invite people he knew but didn't know anybody else. So he, 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 uh, he invited, I think, eight couples, all of whom knew him quite well but n- had never, ever met each other. Right. And our job was to train an, uh, an actor, two actors, a couple, to pose as his friends. Um, and he stood up at the beginning of the dinner and he said, um, the challenge, and this was rather creative, we, I'm talking about it now, 20 years later, but he stood up and he said, I know you all very well and you're very welcome in my home, but I have to tell you that one of the couples here this evening uh, are actors. Right. And your job is to try and identify which ones those are. Right. So it was like a murder mystery, but it was a kind of guess the imposter. With a twist. It was. So there was a lot of creativity in, in that um, coming up with, oh, can I tell you about the, um, the Samuel Pepys gala, which was a bit creative. Yeah, go on there, let's hear about that one. Well, it was in the event world, and I, d- I did eight, eight Christmas parties for a, a management consultancy called Booz Allen. Um, and one of them, one year we decided to do a Burns night instead and carry the party over into January. And um, we did it at Merchant Taylor's Hall in central London. And many of the guests had flown in from the States and they absolutely loved the, the sort of the heritage nature of that event. And so we would always have a debrief lunch after the party a few weeks later and say, OK, how did that go? What should we do next year? And the chairman of the organization said, can you do the we, we, we need to do an in, the English version of a, of a Burns night. And I thought, well, there isn't one really. Um, <laughs> So I wrote one, a completely invented <laughs> It was called the Samuel Pepys Gala. We did it at the Banqueting House in Whitehall, which is where he watched Charles I be beheaded. Wow. Um, and so we hired the whole place. I wrote the script so we would drum in the port. He was quite po- partial to a bit of port. So instead of piping in the haggis, we were drumming in the port. Um, we had set pieces read out by costumed characters, um, which were the Great Fire, of course, the... Um, um, and, um, and and the other big events that are, are, are talked about in in the diaries, um, and to this, and I made I made up a, a completely fictitious account um, that the an account had been found at a, a college in Oxford um, of an of a secret society that used to meet once a year to celebrate the work of Samuel Pepys, <laughs> and, and that this and this hadn't been done for two hundred years, so we we found this account. We, we know what happened during the course of the evening. And um, so we completely recreated a completely fictitious um, account of an event that never happened for a gentleman who was never celebrated in that way. Um, <laughs> and I have to tell you that most of the American visiting guests fell for it. hook like and I, I'm not surprised to hear that in the slightest more. So, so fun- that was kind of creativity on demand. I had to come up with that quite quickly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fantastic. Love it. Love it. And I know that there's, there's, there's so much of it. It's, it's sort of weed through your life generally. If we were to talk about creativity for business leaders. Now, I know that you and I were talking previously about your brand workshops. And you, if I remember correctly, you said that um, people need to look in business at how to make themselves different, better and remarkable. And there's definitely an element of creativity that comes into that. So, but why, yeah, why do you think creativity is important for businesses and for leaders? Creativity is one of those words that different people can interpret differently. Um, I think it was Einstein who said creativity is intelligence having fun. So if you're, if if you're, if you're a leader, um, you will have 
by your, by the very nature of your achievement will have a, uh, will have certain levels of intellectual capacity um, in whatever field that, that you lead in. Um, but it, it's I think it's it's crucial that um, that creativity in an organisation is considered to be something that everybody needs to do. I think it was um, Rory um, Sutherland who who said. Isn't it a bit strange that when a creative team in an organization wants to do something, they have to go and check with the finance team. But when a finance team wants to make some changes, they're not required to go and speak to the creative yeah, team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, which highlights that kind of the, the requirement for creativity throughout an organization. I love the story about um, Bryant and May, the Matchbox company. Um, in, where does the creativity come from? They were struggling. Okay, um, and a matchbox is an extremely well-engineered thing. It's got to be tight enough not to fall open, and it's got to be loose enough to be able to push open. It's really quite yep. difficult to do. Um, and they asked they they put they asked the workforce. This was years and years ago, perhaps decades, even a hundred years ago, um, um, for ideas on how they could save money. And one of the most junior members of the engineering team in the on the on the production line. Ask the question, why do we need the striking paper on both sides? And so they took the striking paper off and put yeah, an advert okay. and, and started advertising on the other side, on the other yeah, side. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So, but the, the MD didn't come up with the idea. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's, it's just crucial that anybody leading an organisation um, is creative in their own way so that that, then seeps down into the rest of the organization um the zappos story is a great example of that right there's so, a number of stories around zappos isn't there yeah but we'll go on then yeah. share, share the one that you were speaking about Mark. well zappos um is a shoe company based yep. in san francisco um bought by amazon i think for 200 million dollars now they didn't buy a shoe company they bought a, a culture of creativity and difference and being better yep. and remarkable and that was reflected by the ceo because when you join Zappos, two weeks later, you're offered $2,000 to leave. I've heard uh, this, yeah. On the fa- I think it's $2,000, but it's a sizable amount. I think he even got it out in cash and put it on the board table. And, and the, the logic behind that was, um, if you'd rather have $2,000 than stay working with me, I don't want you in the building, right? And what subsequently transpired was that people who turned down £2,000 made a bigger fist of the job right because you know i've just turned down two thousand dollars on this role so he, he with that creative approach to human resources he cre- he created um such a desirable place to work and a completely rejuvenated culture that amazon decided that's we we need that and they did they bought the culture they didn't buy the shoes right? yeah no okay so that's a, probably one of the best examples I can think of of the importance of being creative. As love it. Yeah, love it, love it. But I guess in a broader sense, as I touched on earlier with, with your work um, with Chuffed, that, that issue of not being bland, I guess, and being able to differentiate yourself so that you come across as sort of novel, that you better, you come across better than other, other organisations and that you're remark, remarkable, which I think you used the phrase, uh, so that you talked about. And so I guess that if that creative work goes into differentiating you as a business, as a brand, 
it starts getting you noticed and talked about because Zappos is, is a great example of that. Yeah, I think we, we need to remember that small businesses in the UK are the backbone of our economy. The vast, yeah. vast majority of companies in the UK employ fewer than 20 people or something. Yeah. And, and, many, and, and a big chunk of those have fewer than five. Um, this whole concept of um, portfolio working and freelancing and running your own business is exploding. Um, yeah. And, and especially accelerated over the last two years, I would guess. Um, I, I was reminded recently that, you know, our grandparents had a job for life. Our parents worked for, for the same company for 20 years. We, we're averaging four. What are our children going to do? They're all going to be freelancers, right? They're, they're going to be, um, it'll be a completely different um, world in those um, circumstances. So the importance of being different um, it, it, it increases significantly because it's a busy, busy market. And especially if you're a business leader, when we, when we use the phrase business leader, we think um, ICI, SO, Shell, don't we? But actually, we're a nation of business leaders, right? Yeah. We are leading our own businesses, um, which means that we as the leaders of small businesses have to take more responsibility for things like the proposition. You know, we don't have it. I don't have, you know, most businesses don't have a, a marketing team of 10, right? So the, in order to, to, to be successful, um, we have, to, we go through that process when we're doing our workshop. It's a very creative process. We even ask um, clients to, to, to let us know if your business was an animal, which animal would it be? Okay, if it was a movie, which movie would it be? If you were a type of music, would you be rap or opera? You know, um, are you the sun or are you the Daily Telegraph? You know, in the perception of the people you want to look to. Yeah, read. yeah. So that creative process is, is fascinating. But it, yes, you're right. It's designed to capture what makes you different, what makes you better and what makes you remor- remarkable so that you are noticed, remembered and talked about. Because as yeah. Seth Godin reminds us constantly today if you're not different you're invisible if you're not considered better your customers will be promiscuous and it's easier than ever for them to be promiscuous nowadays um and if you're not remarkable people won't talk about you so that's crucial and that's a really creative process and so business leaders need to have that create a, a creative approach to what they do but but it, creativity is is so many things to so many different people in on one hand it's graphic design um yeah on the other it's composing music you know that the the breadth it's a really broad term I, but effectively it's you can't go further back than a good idea and that's the nub of creativity yeah i love that expression i've never heard that before you use that earlier today actually mm. and um and i think we'll come to it in a second but i think one of the challenges is that a lot of people uh, have a perception of themselves that they're not creative um and i think that can be a, a stumbling block and just as a, i'm going to go off at a slight tangent we said we go off at tangents didn't we mark but i thought it was interesting during the when the pandemic started my wife who had typically said she's not a particularly creative person we started having uh, because what else have you got to do we started having themed nights and weekends so we'd have tiki just for us two, tiki parties. And the creativity that went into designing the house and ordering stuff off Amazon and putting it out, it was just brilliant to see this sort of creativity start to flourish. And I I often say to people, you're way more creative than than you believe you are. And, and I wanted to pick up on 
a couple of things that you said, actually, um, that notion of creativity being intelligence, having fun. I really liked that because I think there is so much intelligence in organisations, but sometimes it can become sort of super serious and that kind of environment. And, and, you know, when there's a lot of tasks to do and there's not a lot of space for creativity doesn't really allow either the environment or, or culture to bring that creativity out in people that is there. And, um, yeah, I, I loved that. And, um, yeah, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that really about the creativity within people. And Yeah, there is a, a phrase. I'm going to mispronounce this, but I think it's Shoshin. It's a Buddhist phrase, Shishin or Shoshin. I, okay. I Googled it. Um, and I, I heard it on a talk recently. It's one of the things that we're good at and computers aren't. Um, and that is the ability to approach things with a childlike, a childlike innocence. Um, because if you approach a subject and you don't know much about it, anything is possible. If you have become an expert in that subject, your, your options are limited by the intellectual rigour that, that, that narrows it down. Um, and one of the things that I've um, realised, realized yes, absolutely, people are much, much more creative than they believe they are. Um, I once did a strength finder analysis for an organization and found that actually two of the people in the finance team should have been in the creative team. So we moved them Okay, um, because the strength finder process suggested they, they were extremely creative given. The okay. But also it allows people to think differently and also to, um, to, 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 make strange juxtapositions. I can give you two examples of this. Um, Xerox were having a problem with their photocopiers paper jams, right? Um, the engineers worked and worked and worked and they, they, they couldn't find a solution. It wasn't going to be solved. The leader of that business called in an ear, nose and throat specialist. And they quizzed the ear, nose and throat specialist and the, the ENT specialist um explained to them that in the vast majority of cases, if you have a cold, only one of your no- nasal passages gets blocked at any time. Okay. Right. Which is why we have two. Okay. So, I've learned something today. <laughs> yeah. So guess what Xerox did? They added a, a second paper feed that kicks in when if one of them gets blocked. Oh, that's fabulous story. So, so that's, there was another lovely story about, I think it might have been bird's eye. Um, the challenge, and, it, and I'd never really considered it. If you, if you have a bag of frozen vegetables, chopped different types, okay, carrots, sweet corn, whatever it is in it, you want to be able to throw that all into the, the stir fry at the same time, right? Um, but, the, uh, but some of those things take longer to cook than others. Um, if they're not cut properly, but somebody at Bird's Eye came up with an oil, a cooking oil that changed color when it was exactly the right temperature to throw the bag in. Now, it's it, it, it's it's that kind of creative thinking that um, that works really well. Sometimes it's accidental, and I love this one about pink scaffolding. There was a scaffolding company in Essex, and all their scaffolding poles kept being stolen, so they dipped the ends in pink paint. And um, everybody started commenting on the pink scaffolding on people's houses. And so they changed their name to Pink Scaffolding. Um, And they're now the best known scaffolding company in Essex. Yeah. So accidental creativity is great fun. 
you know, um, but it, it tends to only happen in an environment where that's been where that's allowed. Yeah. And that's what I, I liked when you talked about, you know, childlike innocence. I think one of the things and about your view on this, Mark, I think one of the things that can stifle creativity is as we get older and it, particularly if you're in a business that doesn't have that playfulness, maybe so much that people can fear putting ideas forward because they feel they might say something stupid, be ridiculed. And, um, you know, that whole notion of nothing being a, a bad idea when you've been creative, I think is a great thing. Um, and, but I think that a lot of cultures maybe wouldn't nurture that. And people might feel they risk, as I say, um, being made a fool of because of an idea that's not going to work out, whatever. Yeah. I mean, but I, I, Think of the things that we wouldn't have if somebody hadn't put their hand up and said, why are we doing it that way? You know, there, yeah. there all sorts of, um, I'm trying to think of a good example other than the matchbox side, you know, the, the yeah. um, and, and they're often developments and ideas that you think I could easily have thought of that, you know, um, but I, but some people just seem to see things, um, differently and can, can step away and look at, a, at an issue differently, but so it's uh, and it's dealing with the fear, I think. I think it is that um, that potential uh, fear that people have. And I go back to that a fear of their ego being damaged because they say something stupid or what have you. Whereas some people feel, because I think it's about freedom to be creative, isn't it? And some people feel liberated to just come up with ideas. And they probably have some really crazy ideas that don't work out. But, you know, uh, Many of them do, and I think it is that. Yeah, perhaps the phrase the democracy of ideas is important. If, if you can create um, a, an environment in which um, open and free thinking is welcome, then, yeah. then, then absolutely. I mean, um, as you know, I'm a pirate at heart. and I'm going to come to that later, yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, the, the democracy of that kind of setup um, would allow that kind of idea to come to come forward but yeah the the um the, the enlightened leaders encourage this kind of thinking and and they do take the view okay there might be reasons why that's not going to work which you don't know about but don't don't for heaven's sake don't raise it so yeah, yeah. and i was gonna i was gonna ask you the question actually about whether you feel um we can become more creative and already you've you've partly answered that mark i guess the question would be how do we as individuals and, and collective groups of people, how do we bring out more of that creativity? You've touched on some of the ideas there, but what, what else would you add to that in terms of how we, we as an individual can become more creative and, so, and teams and businesses can become more creative, creative uh, collectively? Yeah, so, so when I face a decision, I have three questions I always ask myself. And if you can't answer yes to all three questions, you're not making a good decision. And in there is is the accommodation of other ideas right so the first thing i ask is am i addressing the real need and the second question is have i informed myself of all of the options and the third question is have i thought through all of those options to their logical conclusion now that works in business it works in work it works in relationships it works in life in general okay you can make better decisions if you ask yourself those three questions if you can't answer yes to all of them you're probably not making the best decision but the key to that is that middle one have i informed myself of all of the options my wife joe is an expert in the third way so i'll if if, if we're talking about something i'll sort of leap to the a or b 
and I'll agonise over which one's better and what Joe will often do. Um, and my work colleagues, Simon and Alison, are very good at this. They'll come in with the, yes, but had you considered doing this instead? Um, I, I'm trying to think of, a, of, um, of an example, but people, you know, anyone listening will probably be, will, will recognise um, this in that some people seem to be able to come up with that third, oh, I hadn't thought of that. No, um, I did. It's that kind of um, refusal to assume that the parameters that your own level of creativity has imposed is the universe of create of opportunities, the universe of options, which it's not. So other people um, will have a completely different view that their perspective might will be different, and that will give them the opportunity. So I guess the answer is, is collective creativity in this respect, because um, it really is a two plus two equals five process, which is yeah, why yeah. our brand, which is why we, we involve um, as many people as possible in the brand discovery workshops uh, within reason, um, because it wouldn't work with just two people. You know, it, it needs that uh, the, the flux of bouncing ideas around and, and most most good ideas are the descendants of other ideas. So you might that that, that weren't quite right. Yeah, um, yeah. So for example, the matchbox idea. Yes, take the striking paper off one side. That will save you money. The other idea on that 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 spawned was why don't we allow people to advertise on the bit that's now empty, right? So it was a it's a it's a it's a it's a progression. Um, yeah, it builds it builds, and I, but I guess the. Um, one of the challenges with that, and I, I, I love those three questions. I think they're so powerful, Mark. But, but I think one of the challenges may be that there were a lot of you mentioned earlier about the, you know, the size of um, the sort of, sort of SME small business industry, and I think um, it's something like sixty-one percent of people are employed by SMEs. So I think we get this perception that the country is all about big corporates, but it's about small businesses, and obviously within that. There are a hell of a lot of solopreneurs and solo businesses. Um, I guess that's going to be more. Cha- what would you say for them then? If, if, if the collective, if it's good to be able to um, bring different ideas and, uh, as you say, almost build on somebody's idea with something else. What about the solopreneurs out there then? What, what about them? Well, I, I guess that's the, the equivalent of the book club, right? Um, the, the networking partnerships and collaborative creative thinking i host some of some of events like this where we'll um sometimes we call it a hot potato thing where you know you get a group of people um and you throw one person throws their problem on the table and everybody else tries to help them fix it um you can it doesn't have to be a problem it can be an opportunity or um as well um but in those circumstances if if somebody was isolated in that respect um to to be successful as a business owner or a, or an entrepreneur or a freelancer, you 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 will already have made connections, right? Um, you will have a network, you will have an audience. Um, so I would if in those if you don't have employees or colleagues who work in the same organisation to bounce those ideas from then go out and find them in a, in a community or a network. Yeah. Yeah. It could be mastermind group. I mean, I used to run a, a fully enough, I used to run something called the solopreneur club years ago, which brought together a group of um, solo business owners and, and enable them to, to do just that. But I guess if you, you know, I, I would add on to this, that if you are somebody who's a, a solo business, actually just in terms of actually how you nurture your individual creativity, I'd say a couple of things. One is it is about finding space 
because we're so busy, aren't we, Mark, a lot of the time and cluttered with tasks and what have you and to-do lists that I often say to um, people I work with when I'm coaching them, go and sit in a coffee shop for an an hour with a blank piece of paper and just see what comes through, really. Um, And fully enough, I did some neuroscience training last year, which I really enjoyed um, with Dr. Linda Shaw. Wonderful course. Um, But one of the things we talked about was the brain uh, resonates at different frequencies. And if you can get your brain into alpha state, which is more when you've just woken up or you can induce it through meditation or daydreaming, that's where you are more creative as well. Um, And so one of the things I found is when I, I I don't know about you, I know your sleep patterns are are sort of quite different, um, but my when I wake up early in the morning and I can't get back to sleep, I used to get frustrated with that. But now I lie there because I know my brain's in alpha state and I have some great ideas. I put, I put speeches together. I solve problems for clients. So I almost sort of lie in this state early in the morning and think, okay, I'm not going to get back to sleep, but I'm going to use it productively. I'll just lie here and see, you know, what ideas come to my head really. Um, but I, would you agree with that about that finding some quality space and, what have you and quiet almost to be creative? Yes, um, I'm. I'm like you in that respect. Um, I keep a notepad by my bed, right? Um, and I've 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 got a waterproof version in my shower because those th- those early mornings, yeah, they, I'm the same. I'm with you that those those can be extremely um, valuable moments because when you, you're rested, your brain has been uh, dormant for eight hours right so it's it's doing it's it's doing its equivalent of stretching (laughs) (laughs) and um and they can they are very very uh useful moments it's creativity it's it's hard it's a hard it's it's difficult to it's like nailing water to the ceiling to a certain extent in that you never quite know when it's going to come i mean for example in our brand discovery workshops or invariably we come up with one light bulb moment it does it's not always me um, but someone at some point will come up with something and we go, yep, yeah, that's it. We've got it, right? You, it's, it, you can't really predict where it's going to come from or when um, in those creative and those group um, sessions. But yeah, finding, I love the idea of going and um, taking yourself out of the norm, the norm. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've, often, I've often got home after a meeting and sat in the car for half an hour thinking about something, you know, before I go back to my desk say hello to everybody and and get distracted yeah Um, so yeah it's it's finding those moments i guess it depends whether it's ongoing creativity or 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 the need for a solution to a challenge or an opportunity yeah yeah but um it but finding yeah it's that it's never never assume you've thought of all the of the options yeah yeah okay okay so i've got a a question i I meant to ask you earlier I'll, i'll ask you now um and you touched on one of these earlier but what about um there'll be various people who listen to this who enjoy reading um a good business book or what have you what are your um favorite books on create i've got an idea what you're going to say mark but what are your favorite books on creativity then um wow creativity i think there'll be a number the 22 immutable laws of marketing um inspired me Um, who's that by uh jack reese i think okay um the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, they've recently brought out the 22 Immutable Laws of Branding, which um, is equally good. But one of the, one of the rules um, in the first book was if you can't be first in your category, create a new category. Okay. And that is at the root of 
lots of what we do. So if you make, meet my wife, she'll tell you she's an accountant. If you tell, if you ask me, I'll tell you she's a forensic accountant. Um, <laughs> if you meet my friend um, Rory, he'll tell you he's an osteopath. But if you ask me, I'll tell you he's a preventative osteopath. Um, it's 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 just it's, yeah create a new category basically um that's the 22 immutable laws of marketing um anything by seth godin um who um is a marketing hero of mine tribes purple cow um yeah, yeah. They're, they're all great i mean one of the things that he said recently was for me was like standing on a rake um, and that was find your smallest viable audience and become the best option for it. Yeah. Okay. And that's, that's driven me for the last 12 months. So yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, and then the piracy thing. I right? knew you were going to say how to be, be more pirate. Be, just be more pirate. Right. So I could go on for hours about this, but be more pirate is by Sam Conniff. It's available on audio and in, in print. And it's a, a rollicking sort of journey through the golden age of piracy between about 1780 and 1620, no, 1680 and 1720, during which time 1,500 pirates kept four national navies on the run, right, um, for 40 years. And they did so by scaling rather than growing, by uh, creating the, the first truly democratic society. They... Um, they they were visionaries in terms of social reform. Um, created the first globally recognised logo, um, the, the skull and crossbones, of course, and the black flag. Um, they were enlightened in that they they um, encouraged, in some cases, same sex relationships. Most of the finest pirates were women. The most successful. They were all th- stealing from thieves anyway. They were. It was the Spanish who were stealing the gold from South America and the Caribbean. And um, so they were stealing from thieves anyway. And um, most of what we think we know about pirates has been taught to us by Robert Louis Stevenson and Walt Disney. And it's it's not an accurate portrayal. <laughs> um, nobody ever walked a plank, for example. Um, so the book teaches you how to apply those principles to business today. Um, so at Chuffed, our creative social enterprise, that's why we're a social enterprise, by the way. Uh, we have our own code of conduct, which is our equivalent to the pirate code. Um, and every uh, it's profit share and, and fees only. Nobody's on a salary. In in the golden age of piracy, um, the, pir- the pirate leader would only get perhaps three times as much booty as the cabin boy. Yeah, yeah. The assumption is that that's not the case. Um the piracy you know in terms of fair fairness they were well ahead on that um so that would be a recommended read it's a yeah i love that I've, I've got a copy of that based on your recommendation i must admit it's in the queue to read and i, I need to raise it up the queue because oh, i know hard on its heels is how to be more pirate by yeah. my friend That's alex barker and um she she um is sort of relates case studies of how this has worked in companies like Mercedes even, right? Um, having that slightly piratic, the, the, the phrases that are used are like cause good trouble. That's effectively what you're doing as a group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause good trouble. It's a great Cause some good trouble. <laughs> um, and, and, and we have modern day pirates, of course. Elon is a pirate. Malala is a pirate. Um, you know, they're, they're, Branson is a pirate. You know, they they they, they they have that same kind of um, approach to 
not really wanting to conform. Yeah. Uh, and so, and the and, reason people turned to piracy was because they were being so uh, badly treated in the Navy, hardly being paid, lashed all the time. Um, and, and which is exactly why when um, Steve Jobs died, they flew the Jolly Roger over the HQ. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. Famous, famous for saying, I would rather be a pirate than in the Navy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's taking that philosophy. Yeah. Cause I know you had the, is it the co-author of how to be more pirate on your, in your networking group in a presentation, didn't you last year? We did Alex. Yeah. She yeah. did a great job. She's, she's the pirate queen. She's my pirate queen. Yeah. Um, and um, she, she has some, you know, she, she's effectively building the community that's grown um, up around this whole concept um, with events. And, um, and yeah, she did our tag talk as we call it. Yep. It's, uh, it's a 10 minute speed webinar. Um, our event is only an hour long, um, which is why people come because people don't like saying yes to four hour webinars because they know they're not going to be available. Um, but they'll come to a one hour speed networking event, especially if they're meeting nine people in under an hour. Um, and, but halfway, it can get a bit, it's quite a, um, a ride, but halfway I, through. I, we, I've done it. Yeah. Yeah, you have. Yeah. yeah, of course. yeah. yeah thank you. But yeah, halfway through, 10 minutes. Um, it's called a TAD talk because it's small. And, and what does the TAD stand for? Remind me. The arts debate. That so, was it. Yeah, yeah. So it's the arts and culture network. So we have that art, arts debate. And that, those those have been great. And we, the last one we did was was great as well with Alistair Frost, um, the anti-futurist. So we do mix it up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah Alex was um, kind to come and do that. Yeah. No, superb. Hey, Mark, it's, doing, it's just been a completely uh, fascinating as I knew it would be and uh, a lot of fun as well and, and just so many interesting stories and I love some of the models in there those those three questions for example I think I need to go and look at changing my job title because um, I can't be a leadership psychologist anymore I need to be a forensic leader or something like that anyway <laughs> I need to look at that but before we finish today I just wanted to ask you well actually a couple of questions um Really, it's about how to find out more about you. Um, and that's both in relation to the, the arts and culture network, but also Chuffed and the workshops that you put on as well. So do you want to give a quick flavour of both of those two and then just give some contact information for you, Mark? Thank you very much, Tony. Um, yeah, I'm all over LinkedIn. I think I was one of the first 100,000 users of LinkedIn. Um, so you'll find me there. Um, I'm a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, so if you can't find Mark, Mark Wormsley by searching for Mark Wormsley, then just add FRSA and that'll, that'll find it. But yeah, you, um, Google or LinkedIn um, have captured, captured me, so that's fine. Um, Chuffed, C-H-U-F-D dot com. Chuffed is our creative social enterprise. Um, we do uh, brand development, graphic design, copywriting and marketing management, and we use young and emerging talented professionals to do that who at our direction um which is why a 17 year old graphic designer is currently working on a new visual identity for a 60 million pound tv company wow and it couldn't happen any other way so our our mission as you as you kindly mentioned is to nurture emerging talent in its journey from learning to earning so we spend quite a bit of time in schools and colleges and universities um, in that respect so that's chuffed yeah super. Um, we the brand discovery workshop is the flagship 
the pirate flagship of Chuffed, if you like. <laughs> um, it's two 90-minute sessions during which time we explore, as we discussed, being different, being better, being remarkable, so that you can be noticed, remembered, and talked about. And the end result of that is a, a brand tree, um, which you'll f- I, I'm happy to share um, in, in comments if we do that on here. Um, and so that's, yeah, so we those those brand discovery workshops are illuminating, fun, um, and we've had some wonderful testimonials from those. And um, targeted at uh, who then? Well, we most of the most of the people we work with are either startups, scale ups, or shake ups. Yeah, actually, that's quite a big group because everybody's shaking up at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you're not scaling up, you probably should be thinking about scaling up. But to give you an example, and this is where the creating your category element comes in because we do that as well in in the session. Um, we were working we were working with um, a, a, a financial advisor and pension specialist who who was not only competing with other financial advisors and pension specialists he was competing with the people in his own organization for, for business so um, I caught um, a comment during the workshop that suggested that people going through divorce make good clients um, for him. So he's now completely reinvented himself as the the um, pensions after divorce specialist. Okay, brilliant. So he offers a free service to people who, are, and he describes them as silver separators, right? So, if, <laughs> he, and it's working for him. Um, an hour after we finished the workshop, he rang a, a family law colleague in Hull who he'd lost contact with, um, and picked up two introductions one of which was a, a, a pension fund worth over a million pounds um, from somebody who had who was going through divorce and he worked for one or both parties just to make sure um, everything's reinvested after it's separated after it's um, distributed by the judgment okay. um, and so now he's he's now the, the go-to guy for pensions if you're going through a divorce which is Seth he's found his smallest viable yeah yeah he's become the best option for it yeah no brilliant so that was an outcome of that workshop yeah brilliant so about the the arts and culture network then for anybody yeah so i set this up on linkedin in 2010 and promptly forgot all about it the arts and culture network i wish i had done the same thing with bitcoin um (laughs) the um by 2020 it had grown to 12,000 members um and because of my background in the arts and culture sector i thought i really like to get to know some of these people a bit more better so i started doing hosting some random speed networking events and we had 70 at the event in november um 90 in in december and over 90 nearly 100 i think in january and our next one is on the 3rd of february and we're starting them in other areas of the world from the 1st of march onwards yeah you're saying that yeah Um, and it's it's uh, my the the thinking is that you can't have collaboration without connection and conversation so our job is to allow people to connect very quickly in a series of five minute one to ones at random in under an hour from all over the world without leaving your desk. And people have been hired at our meetings. People have collaborated on British Council grant funding applications. Um, we've had uh, musicians find lyricists. We've had artists find crypto experts so that they can delve into NFTs. Um, it's been a, a, a real eye-opener. And we've had people from government come. We've had Arts Council England represented 
Shakespeare's Globe, South Bank Centre, theatres all over the country. And, um, we're, we're, and we've had lots of people from overseas as well, which is great. So we're starting those ones. But yeah, it's artsandculturenetwork.com. And uh, we, you'll find the LinkedIn group there. So if anyone does work in, around or for that sector, it's not just practitioners. It's um, anyone who, who can support somebody working in the arts. Um, so, for example, we have a, um, a, a specialist accountant who specializes in working for uh, musicians. Right. With you. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah. So that's going great guns. And um, I guess in the first instance, people are best to find you on LinkedIn Connect. And if they want to pursue either of those routes, then you could direct them uh, or respond to them and give them some more information, really. So it's a good starting point to find you on LinkedIn, isn't it, Mark? Really? LinkedIn's a great starting yeah. point. Yeah. Hey, well, listen, um, huge thanks. I'm going to ask you one final question before we finish. As you're a drummer, who's your favourite drummer, Mark? My favourite drummer would be Steve Gadd. Yep, okay. Um, he, and if you want to... Uh, find him at his best um you'll find the the simon and garfunkel the concert in central park um from about 1983 i think is on youtube and on probably elsewhere um yeah. uh, he was a drummer at that he played in that concert yeah uh, ah, okay with lots and lots of other famous artists i got the uh, the pleasure to meet him at ronnie scott's in london a few years ago um i, sne- I sneaked backstage as he was leaving the stage and uh, he gave me a pair of sticks <laughs> and the same thing happened to me in 1971 with Buddy Rich. So, wow! Yeah. So, yeah. So, have you still have you, have you got some? Have you got some Buddy Rich drum, Rich drumsticks? Buddy Rich drumsticks. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. Hey, well, listen, that was a great thing to end on. So, thanks hugely, Mark, for spending your time today. I, I, I think people are just going to get so much out of that. And and if anything, I want people to go away with um, one thing, and that is that if they feel they're not creative, they're actually more creative than they believe they are. And I think some of the things you brought out today may stimulate them to behave in more creative ways and find more opportunities to be creative. So thanks hugely for that, Mark. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure, Tony. If you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail, Why not complete our free leadership diagnostic at thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for future podcasts.